Romans chapter 12. And my text for today can be found in the verse 5. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of another. We, being many, are one. Well, let's unite together in prayer. We need the help of God now as we come to the preaching of his word. Our Father, we lament the fall of Adam in the garden. It left us with natures that are corrupt and depraved, and it left us with minds that are so hard against the things of God. But we thank thee for the last Adam, for Christ who came and undid the work of the first Adam. We thank thee that everything lost in Adam is restored in Christ. But Father, we still live in a body, a body that is prone to sinning against thee, and no organ so much more than our minds. But Father, we ask thee now, as we come to the preaching of thy word, for the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit, that the word of God would come to us with clarity, that it would not just come in our ears and rest in our minds, but Father, it would penetrate the very depths of our hearts. We need thee to come and be our teacher today. We need the aid of God. And Father, thou knowest the hearts of each head bowed before thee this day. Thou knowest our needs. Minister to our needs this day. Teach us. Guide us. And lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week in our Bible class, we considered the wonderful subject of adoption. How God adopts sinners out of the kingdom of Satan and out of the world and brings them into his glorious family. And we thought about how we are now considered sons and daughters of God. And what a privilege that is what a heartwarming truth it is to sit and meditate that we're no longer children of the devil but children of the king and what joy it brings to our souls to think of how we are now part of God's family adopted by grace alone but there's also another aspect of being in God's family that we need to consider and it's the fact that we have a new family the fact that we now are part of a spiritual family we know what it is to be part of a physical family we have parents we have brothers and sisters we have children we know what it is to be part of a family here on earth but once we're converted once we're born again and once we're brought into God's family we're part of a new family it has various names it can be called the family of God it can be called the fellowship of believers or it can be called very simply and this is my favorite the church, the church 
of Christ. Now the church is not just a building. Some people seem to think that. They seem to think a church is a building. Well, dear friends, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't come to establish buildings. No, he came to establish a church, a family. And a church is not just a charitable organization, a tax write-off for some people. It's not that either. Nor is the church just a religious tag or a religious label. No, dear friends, the church is the family of God. The church is made up of living souls from various backgrounds and nationalities, from all walks of life, and the church has been, has been being built up for the last uh, thousands of years. The church is the name given to the family of God. But sadly, and this is one of uh, the pet peeves I have, you've maybe gathered up quite a few pet peeves over the last four weeks, but a pet peeve of mine is the fact that the word church and the term church is so despised in Christian circles today. If somebody's starting a, an organization, the, it seems to be, well, we need to get away from this old fuddy-duddy word church and we need to give ourselves a new fancy name. I remember whenever I lived in, in Nottingham in England, uh, one of the places that uh, people flocked to right in the city centre was called the Christian Centre. Well, it sounds very good, the Christian Centre, but why not use the name church? What's so wrong and terrible about the name church? It's a biblical word. It's a word that Christ used. And I believe it's a word we should use. Because whenever I think of the word church, I don't just think of a building. I don't just think of a denomination. I think of a people. People in China today are part of my church. People in Australia today are part of my church. It's not my church, it's Christ's church. But we're part of the one church. And it's a, it's a term that unites the believers of God together. It's a biblical word. The Greek word in the New Testament is ecclesia. And it can be understood locally. That is a gathering, a company or an assembly. But it can also be used to describe the church collectively on earth. Or in heaven as well. A gathering of one people, all redeemed by the same blood of Christ. All people who have the same God and the same Savior and the same promise of heaven as well. But whenever we think of being part of the family of God, of being in the church, this raises various questions for us, doesn't it? How do we live in this new family? We've been adopted, remember, out of the world. Out of the devil's kingdom, we've been adopted into the family of God. And that raises questions. How do we live in this new family? If a child was adopted from one family to another, he would be faced with a similar question. How do I live in this new family? What role and responsibility do I have? How do I treat other people? Well, so it is with us in the kingdom of God, in the church. How do we live in this new family? What is our responsibility in this family? How do I treat other people within this family? How do I engage with my new family? How is my time to be spent in the family of God? Am I only part of this family for an hour on a Sunday morning? Or am I part of this family 24-7? Dear friends, have you ever stopped to think about your role in the family of God. Well, I want us to think about that here this morning uh, under the very simple heading, the family 
of God. And there's four main things I would like us to think upon about the family of God. First of all, let us note the description of the family. The description of the family. And the first thing we can say is that this is a family that has been bought by the same blood. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus and he says, Take heed therefore unto yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Which he has purchased with his own blood. Now he does not say, I bought this individual by themselves with their own blood. No, he's speaking collectively here. Christ has bought the church of God with his own blood. So just as there's that blood bond between family members here on earth, between physical family members, so dear friend, there's a blood bond between all those who are believers in Christ. We're all bought with the same blood. We're all washed in the same blood. And it's this blood bond that unites us together. Because dear friend, without the shedding of Christ's blood and without the cleansing of Christ's blood, we're not part of his family. So dear friend, it's vital for me and for you. If we're in the family of God, we must receive the blood of Christ applied to our own souls. Can I just pause and ask you this morning, Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? John the Baptist pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and he said, Behold the Lamb, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb would be sacrificed and his blood would be shed for the remission of our sins. But it's not enough just to know that Christ died for our sins. We must receive him as our Savior. The Bible doesn't speak anywhere of accepting Christ. It speaks of receiving Christ. And dear friend, that's what we have to do. Receive Christ. Come to him as that penitent sinner. Lord, be merciful to me. Cleanse me in thy precious blood. Because it's only by the cleansing of his blood we're brought into the family of God. And if we reject the washing of the blood, if we reject the forgiveness of our sins, if we reject his sacrifice on Calvary, dear friend, we're not in the family of God. We can come to church. We can come to the prayer meeting. We can pray, pay our tithes in. And well, while these things are, are good in themselves, dear friend, they profit us nothing in eternity. If you and I are to be in the family of God, we must be washed in Christ's blood. Because it is that blood that brings us in. And without that blood, we're not in the family of God. As good, as honourable as we may be, we're not in the family The description of the family. All who are in the family are washed in the same blood. There's a blood bond that unites us together. We might not be able to speak the same language here on earth. We might not be able to have a a wonderful conversation if somebody speaks um, Mandarin or something like that. But dear friend, there's a blood that unites us. It's a blood bond. But there's also in this description of the family an emotional attachment In Ephesians 2.19, Paul says, Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. What a wonderful truth for us here. You're no more strangers. You're not a foreigner anymore, but you're a fellow citizen of the household of God. Once we were strangers. 
Once we wandered as pilgrims, not knowing what way to go. Once we wandered on the broad road, but now we've been brought on to the narrow path, heading for the straight gate. And there's an emotional attachment here. We're fellow citizens with the saints. We're not above them. We're not below them. We're with them. Fellow citizens of the saints. That word household in the Greek <clears throat> is okaios. And it's used in scripture to refer to a blood family or the family of God. You see, the word of God is inspired. The apostle doesn't make a mistake here in using the wrong word. The Holy Spirit has directed him to make this connection here. This word okaios that speaks of a blood family also speaks of the family of God. That is how important God views the church and believers gathered together. They're a family. So there ought to be that emotional attachment. Just as we have that emotional attachment to our husband, our wife, our children, our parents. So there ought to be that emotional attachment with those who are in God's family. We ought not just to say, oh, that's so-and-so. They sit the other side of the church. Uh, um, uh, I know nothing about them. No, dear friend. We ought to have that emotional attachment to that person. That's my brother. That's my sister in the Lord. We're washed in the same blood. We're fellow citizens of the household of God. But there also ought to be a sense of belonging. Romans uh, 12, verse 5, our verse for today. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. It does not say members each of his own. Members one of another. We ought to have a sense of belonging in this family. There shouldn't be somebody who comes into church and, and feels isolated. Somebody who's left at the back by themselves. I don't know if you have them here in America, but the Plymouth Brethren uh, started in England under uh, John Nelson Darby. And they have that policy that if you come in and you're not part of their inner circle, you have to sit in the seat of the unlearned at the back, as they call it. Well, dear friend, that's not uh, the sense of belonging to the family of God. If we're washed in the same blood of Christ, we're, we're part of the family of God and every one members of another. We belong to this family and we ought to have that sense that we belong to God's family. And we shouldn't be those who make other people feel as if they don't belong to God's family. We shouldn't be those who, who vaunt ourselves above others. But let me also say, there ought to be a bond or connection in the family of God. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says to Timothy, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the youngers as sisters, with all purity. Whenever Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's encouraging him uh, how to live as a Christian and how to act as a pastor in the congregation. What sort of terms does he use? Family terms. He speaks of a father, a mother, brethren, sisters. That's the sort of language that Paul is speaking of here. Because that's the sort of language that um, is befitting to the family of God. We're not those who are strangers to each other. No, there, there's a bond, there's a connection. I was converted at university whenever I was 20 years of age and had gone to university to study politics. 
and I've always sort of been on the uh, on the right side of the political spectrum. But for some reason, I ended up at a university that was pretty far on the left side of the political spectrum. Uh, most of my teachers were socialists or communists. I didn't pick my university based on anything uh, intellectual. I based it on other reasons, which were which were uh, very sinful. But one of my lectures was sitting at a class one day, and being a communist, he says, can you name one place where people gather together that social class, education, or race do not divide? And people sat scratching their heads. They couldn't think of anywhere. And I was only a new convert at the time, and I very tentatively put my hand up and said, well, in the church... And that he couldn't uh, think of a way to knock it back, knock it back down. Because, dear friend, that is the truth. We all have that connection together. We're brought into the same family of God. And it doesn't matter what size of a house we came from or what size of a bank balance we have or, or, or any other factor. The fact is we're all part of the one family. And there ought to be nothing that divides us or nothing that separates us. Most of us have read the children's story, The Jungle Book. We think of little Mowgli. He was orphaned in the jungle. He was raised by wolves. Now normally, if it were a true story, I don't believe it is a true story, but uh, normally they would devour a child, being the wolves that they are. But they adopted him, they loved him, and he knew nothing else but their affection. The end result was Mowgli was attached to them. Well, dear friend, it ought to be in the family of God that there's an attachment, a, a, an emotional bond, one between a, another. That sense of belonging that we have here. And this description of the family, it applies in two senses. First of all, locally, in our local congregation here, we should have that sense of, of belonging, but also universally as well. It's not just us. We're, we're not the only believers in the world and everybody else out there is wrong. No, dear friend, we belong to the church of Christ throughout the world. And we always have to remember that we're part of the family of God, regardless of uh, your view on the end time, regardless of your view on baptism. These things, sadly, while they do separate us, there's more that unites us. We're part of the same family. The description of the family. Let's think secondly here today of the duty of the family. Because there's duty in everything that we do. And being part of the family, you have a duty to do. Maybe in your house you have duties to do. Maybe it's the dishes, the cutting of the grass, uh, or maybe all of the above. But in the family of God, we have certain duties. Well, let me highlight some for you here today. The first duty that we have is to love. That's the first duty in the family of God. The Saviour says in John thirteen thirty four, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. The Lord never commands his church to go and fight and to fall out. He never commands us to bring accusations uh, uh, against each other and to, and to wage war one with the other. No, the new commandment I give you, that ye love. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9. And this is what he said to them. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught 
of God to love one another. So this teaching comes from God. This church has been taught by God to love one another. And Paul says, I I commend you for this. This isn't something I'm having to write and rebuke you for. No, you've got it perfect. You're taught of God to love one another. Because the truth is, dear friend, love overcomes all uh, the other things that would cause division and would cause strivings uh, that the devil would seek to, to bring in over the most minutest of details. Paul or Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 22, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. He doesn't say you've purified your souls by... Uh, by taking out your sword and cutting off the ears of, of those who would seek to uh, say things against your Savior? No. Through the unfeigned love of the brethren have you purified your souls. You see, loving our brethren, dear friends, is part of our sanctification. It's part of making us holier. It's part of making us Christ-like. And dear friends, if we're not loving the brethren, if we're finding reasons and excuses not to love them, Dear friend, it's not an evidence of sanctification in our own souls. Of course now, whenever somebody uh, perhaps holds to something that's contrary to Scripture, in humility and with grace and with a very heavy heart and in love, we have to tell them. But it's done in love, always in love. So the first duty of the family is to love. The second duty that we have in the church, the family of God, is to care comfort and protect our brethren in first corinthians 12 verses 25 to 26 paul says that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another and whether one member suffer all the members suffer with it or one member member be honored all the members rejoice with it those are Sobering words, aren't they? The members should have the same care one for another. It's naturally within us that we we have friends that we're maybe closer to. It happens to us all. People that uh, we maybe have that special relationship with. But that doesn't mean we say, right, I have my inner circle of three, four, five friends, and that's it, everybody else can get their own inner circle. No. Dear friend, we should have the same care one for another. And if one person is suffering, we should be suffering with them. We should care, comfort and protect. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you pray for your brethren? Not just your close inner circle. Do you pray for your brethren? For those who you know are going through a tough time today. For those who you know need prayer. For those you know who are maybe going through great temptation, maybe really struggling as a Christian, are you praying for those people today? Do you weep with them in their times of weeping? As part of the family of God, just as you would care for your earthly brother or sister, so you have that responsibility to care for the family of God as well. There's also the duty of support. In Galatians 6 verse 10, Paul says, As we therefore have, or sorry, as we have therefore opportunity, 
Let us do good unto all men. Now this is believer and unbeliever. But especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Part of our duty is to do good to those of the household of faith. Those who are in the family of God. Um, That could encompass a whole variety of things. We could list uh, a whole multitude of examples here. But let the Spirit apply it. Are we doing good to those who are of the household of faith? Are we supporting them as best as we can, practically, physically, whatever way they need it? Are we supporting them? In 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Now we are familiar with this verse, I'm sure. If anybody's not providing for his house, uh, if a man's being lazy, not going out and working, and his family are starving, uh, Paul says, it's, it's uh, and he's able to work, uh, Paul says he's denied the faith. He's worse than an infidel because uh, an honest Christian goes and works and provides for his family. Now, some might think that this word house means his blood family. But this is the same word that is used in Ephesians 2.19. Okaios, which means the family of God as well. So remember, we looked at that before. If any man provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, of course, we can take that to be uh, our, our, our natural families. They come first. They have a responsibility. But there's also a sense here in which we can apply this to the family of God. If somebody has goods, this Lord said, and seeth his brother in need, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Soldiers who fight together in war, they develop a special bond. They risk their lives for each other. These two men who have never met before meet on a battlefield. They've maybe come from opposite ends of the country and they take bullets for each other. One will run through a hail of fire to lift up a fallen brother. What motivates these men they've never met before? Well, a love, a care and compassion uh, has developed in their relationship. They're now considering themselves to be brothers in arms. Well, how much more in the family of God should we not display love, care and support for each other? It's not always easy to function as a family. Sadly, we have those sinful natures. We have different personalities, different things that we find humorous, and different sensitivities. We all have different ways to do things, even if the end result is ultimately the same. But these are not barriers to being a family. These are obstacles to being overcome. Just whenever I say Christians are to be a family doesn't mean that we bring our bickering and our niggling into church. It means that we overcome these things. We don't storm out. I'm not staying there with him. He wants blue carpet and I want red carpet and we just can't live together anymore. Family of God's not to be like that. We overcome our obstacles. We apologize. We ask for forgiveness. We humble ourselves. Thirdly, We've thought of the description of the family, the duty of the family. Let us think now of the desires of the family. And the first desire of the family is to have fellowship together. 
In Acts 2, verse 42, speaking of the early church in the days of Pentecost, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. It doesn't say, well, they all went to their own house and they all did that which was right in their own eyes. Or they then started to form up their denominations. There was the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians all scattered throughout Jerusalem. It doesn't say that. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and of breaking of bread and prayers. What is this? Dear friends, this is fellowship in the gospel. John says that desires for fellowship are an evidence of salvation. First John 1 verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Dear friend, walking in the light is evidence of being a child of God. And the, John is saying, if we are walking in the light, we will have fellowship. It's not optional. One of the things that I find greatly distressing today, and I think it's a problem here in America, as it is in Scotland where I minister. And it's the amount of Christians who stay at home. The amount of Christians who say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to meet with other people. I can worship God in my living room. And that is right. You can worship God in your living room, your bathroom, your bedroom, wherever you are, you can worship God. But we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And it's an evidence of salvation that we will want to be in the family of God. We'll want to be with other believers. We'll not want to uh, be sitting at home. In fact, we'll be uh, itching to get out the door to get to church. The desire of the family is meeting together. Whenever I lived in England, England is a, is a very dark place. It's a heathen country, really. But the only fellowship I had once I was converted was with Christians on the Sabbath day. I barely saw Christians the rest of the time. And I used to love getting out to church, meeting with Christians. In England, uh, they had a cup of tea after uh, the services morning and evening. And, and that was fellowship together. Spending time in, in godly company, talking about the sermon, talking about what you'd learned that week. It was a, it was a, a day of blessing. And a time of blessing in the family of God. The desire of the family is fellowship together. The desire of the family is also to worship together. Hebrews 10.25, I mentioned it earlier. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. This word exhort in other places is translated comfort, desire, or praying. The desire of our hearts will be to, to meet with those who are worshipping our God. We'll want to be worshipping God together. Of course we can worship God individually. But the church is a family. And corporate worship is, impo is important. The third desire of the family is that we will serve the Father together. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9. Paul says, For we are labourers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Paul does not say, I'm a laborer with God. He does not say the apostles by themselves are laborers with God. Paul says, we are laborers together with God. We, the family of God, we're laboring together with God. Not apart from God. God's not doing it by himself. We're all doing it together. 
dear friend, the family of God labor together. They work together. We serve with God together. It's not a one-man ministry. No, dear friend, we all have our role to play in the kingdom of God. Let me ask, if you were having a family gathering and one family member said, well, I'll just stay at home and miss out that gathering. Another family member, well, they came to the place where the gathering was, but they sat in the car. They didn't come in. Another went into the family gathering, but he sat and glanced at his watch the whole evening. Another person sat and yawned repeatedly. Another person stood up as soon as they put the last mouthful in their uh, their, the last piece of food in their mouth and said, excuse me, I have better places to be. What would your conclusion be? Well, your conclusion would be, well, that was a pretty awful family gathering. That was pretty terrible. Nobody really wanted to be there. He yawned. She was on her phone. He left as soon as he could. The other person sat out in the car. This was terrible. Well, imagine you were the father or mother of such a family gathering. How would you feel? I'm sure you'd feel something wrong with this family. There's not the unity. Well, imagine how God feels whenever his children behave in the same way in the family of God. The family of God desire fellowship together, desire worship together, and desire to serve together. Let me ask, dear friend, what do you desire from being here? What do you desire from, from your church family and from, and from the church at large? Fellowship with God? The Father, Son, and Spirit? Of course. There's no church without the triune God. And it must be a church that's uh, and a church family that, that sees their need of God. But that's only fellowship with three people in the family of God. The family of God has many more people in it. Fourthly and finally, and I'll be quick with this final point here today. We've thought of the description, the duty, the desires of the family. Let us think of the delight of the family now. The delight of a family. Is there not delight in a family whenever a new baby comes into it? There is initially. Then after two uh, weeks of sleepless nights, uh, they suddenly realize uh, uh, that joy that we had when we first saw the baby. It's not quite here as as it once was. But there is joy. There's joy when a new person comes into the family. There's a joy upon grandparents whenever they hear a new baby has come into the family because they're thinking, ha ha, now my children will know what I went through with them. But there's joy in the family of God whenever somebody comes and joins the family. The Bible teaches us that there's joy in the presence of angels over one sinner that repenteth. Joy in the presence of angels. Who is expressing that joy? I I believe it's the Savior himself. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has seen the travail of his soul and is satisfied in heaven when one sinner comes to him. I don't believe it goes by unnoticed when one of God's children joins the family. I believe it's it's a glorious day in heaven when a sinner on earth repents and believes the gospel and it ought to be a joyful time for us too 
We ought to be those who delight. It shouldn't be, oh, so-and-so got converted. Isn't that nice? What's for lunch? It ought to be a joyful time. That man or woman was dead. Last week they were dead. They were spiritually dead in their sin. And now they're alive in Christ. Last week they were out at all the entertainment places of the world. They wouldn't come in and join with us. But look, now they're here. They're bringing their Bible. They're singing their heart out. Joy ought to be with us whenever somebody comes and joins the family. There also ought to be peace in the family as well. The delight of the family is peace. There's peace now uh, between us and God because Christ has made that possible. But a family ought to delight in peace. There's some people in life and you meet them and they're never happy unless they're fighting with somebody. Never happy unless there's a conflict or a controversy going. But I don't believe that's the mark of a believer. I believe a believer is somebody who seeks peace in the family of God. Not at any cost. Of course not. We never sacrifice or compromise in scripture. But the delight of the family is to seek peace. But the final delight of the family is that the family of God is a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of heaven. Peter says that we're heirs together of the grace of life. The Savior said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Heaven is a real place. We know that. The Savior's promised it to be so. And we know that in heaven... There's no cross words. We know that in heaven uh, there's no arguments. There's no uh, fightings. There's no lies being told. There's, there's no sin in our relationships in heaven. Well, dear friend, the family of God on earth ought to be a glorious foretaste of heaven. Whenever believers gather together, although, yes, we still have our sinful tendencies, it ought to be a little taste of what heaven should be like. People shouldn't be coming into the church and finding the world People should be coming into the church and leaving and taking a breath and saying, you know, that was a taste of heaven whenever I was with those people. The light of the family. Coming to a close here today. I wonder, dear friends, whenever people come in to this family, to this church, what do they see? A welcoming handshake at the door? That's good. It's important. People must be made to feel welcome. People coming over to them and welcoming them, saying, nice to see you. That, that's, that's good. That's important. Reverent worship of God? Absolutely. People who love the preaching of God's word? Certainly. But do people come in and see a church family? Or do they see simply a collection of individuals who meet up once a week? I had a friend and he was telling me that him and his wife go to a church in a big city in England. And they enjoyed their church. They're very happy at their church. She's gone there her whole life, knows everybody. Family's involved. Pastor married them. But a friend invited them to go along to a different to their church, which was actually closer to their home. So they thought, we'll keep our friend happy. We'll go out to their church Sunday morning, go back to our church Sunday night. So they went out to this church. From the moment they walked in, they knew there was something special about this place. Something special. Whenever they left, they went back to their church that night. 
and for the next couple of weeks. But both husband and wife were thinking privately, I want to go back to that church. Now it wasn't that there was anything more special about the preaching. They still sang the same hymns. But it was the people who made it. The people were just so integrated. They were so much like a family. That was the attraction for this couple. They wanted to be part of the family of God there with those people. And dear friend, that's something we always have to be working towards. Paul says, So we being many are one body in Christ. Dear friend, always remember, the church is one family. We being many are one. But in closing, dear friend, let me close with that word of exhortation. If you're not in that family, come Join that family today. That family is not a group of special holy people. That family is a group of sinners. Redeemed by the blood of Christ. And you dear friend. Can be redeemed by that blood today. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. The Bible says to save sinners. And he'll save you. If you'll come to him. Let's bow and pray. Our blessed Father, we thank thee this day that thou hast not only given us the wonderful mercy of adoption, but thou hast brought us into thy family. And Father, we thank thee this day for the family of God. And Father, we pray that thou will help us to fulfill our duty in thy family. Help us to be those who love. Help us to be those who serve. Make us those who glorify thee. Write thy word upon our souls. And should there be any father today outside of thy family, Lord, will thou not call them in? Will thou not put that seal of adoption upon their souls this day and redeem by the precious blood of Christ? We ask for his glory. Amen.